Good evening, everyone. I'm very glad to be here in St. Mary's to celebrate this evening the, the great prayer of the church, evening prayer, and also to spend this time in the prayerful reading of sacred scripture. Lexio Divina is a very ancient tradition of the church. It goes back to the very earliest days. It is not the study of scripture, that's sometimes called exegesis, that's where we look into the background and try to understand the original meaning and things of that type. That's uh, when we have a class on scripture, we are involved in that. And it's not preaching the gospel, it has a certain element of that, but not really. It's really praying the word of God. It is the divine reading, Lectio Divina. And the idea is not to cover the whole Bible quickly, but just to take a small portion and just reflect upon it, read it, meditate upon it, be at peace with the Lord and just be one with God and listen to what he says. And then we hope in the course of that, as we go back amidst our, our daily lives, that we will then act on the word of God. But this is above all an encounter in prayer with God who speaks to us, who, who comes to us. And that's why it is so very precious in our lives. It's good to do this all the time. In fact, the main way of praying the word of God is just on our own. I know I get up in the morning uh, fairly early and I, the good thing about bishops is they, they sort of insist you have a little chapel nearby. So I go down and make a cup of coffee, I must admit, and I come to my little chapel. Now I should warn you it's forbidden to drink coffee when you're praying, but it's quite permitted to pray when you're drinking coffee. <laughs> so I uh, put my little cup of coffee down and then I do Lectio Divina. I have a little prayer before the Lord. And uh, that's what it's good for all of us to do from time to time, whatever circumstances we have. Our Holy Father, Pope Francis, especially encourages us this year to pray, uh, prayerfully read, the, uh, the Gospel of Luke, because that's the, the, the Gospel readings we're reading this year, but it's also the Gospel that's very close to the theme of mercy in this Jubilee of mercy that our Holy Father has instituted. So it's, he was handing out little Gospels of Luke, you know, just keep it in the pocket and have one with you all the time and maybe find a little time to read it. And so we could try to do that day by day. However, this evening, we're going to be praying the Gospel of Mark. It's a good idea with Lectio Divina, and just do this when we're on our own, you know, just on our own, to say when we read the passage, what does it say to my head, my heart, and my hands? To know, to love, to serve God. So as we're praying these passages, these verses, just think, what does it teach me about God? What does it, how does it draw me closer in love with the Lord? And what are the practical fruits of this? So I will pull out my little, uh, I always, I have a red Bible because I believe the Bible should be read. <laughs> this one's a little battered, but there we are. So I will begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's now just let go of all of those cares and troubles that so distract us, that prevent us from listening to God as he speaks to us so gently. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. 
so that the Lord may find a pathway to our hearts. Let's ask God's forgiveness for the barriers we put up, our sins that deafen us to the word of God and to our neighbor. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as this branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be a tumult of the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. But there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was that ointment thus wasted? For this ointment might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they reproached her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you will, you can do good to them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burying. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him.
just spend a moment meditating and thinking, what does this passage say to me in my life in Christ as a disciple? But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Our Lord has been preparing the people to be alert, to wake up, to be aware of the end times. That all these things, such as the beautiful temple they had, that they were strolling through such beautiful place, would not last. It was just earthly glory. They must be ready for the coming of the Lord. For the days of tribulation, and indeed, in just about a few years after our Lord spoke, the whole temple was destroyed, and the city was wiped out, and the, the people in Jerusalem were many killed and dispersed. And that's the first punishment that came upon them, a foreshadowing of the end of the world. It was the end of their world, but there's a greater goal at end. We have to be aware of that. If you know where you're going, you're more likely to get there, and if you know where you're going, that determines your journey. So if you think we're simply drifting along, along, and along, and along, dithering through this life, then we are lost. We have to live in preparation for the coming of the Lord. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. This theme has been brought to us throughout the Old Testament. This is, these are quotations from the prophet Joel, the prophet Isaiah. These things are repeated again and again. In those days, as God's people were suffering and facing persecution and seeing the enemy nations around them just coming in against them, and as the people themselves were becoming corrupt, the prophets cried out, the sun and the moon will be dark and the stars from heaven will fall on the day of his great coming, the day of the Lord, the day of accounting, when justice will triumph, when we come before the Lord when the whole world does. It's not a speculation, as we see later on, about when that will be. It is to make us reflect upon the present moment. It's just like in our, one of our greatest of all prayers. We say, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Got to get down to earth there, sinners. Now and at the hour of our death. We don't know when that is either, but that's the coming of the Lord, the closest one for each of us. But to prepare for that, we need to think about it so we live well now. Because the past we can't affect, the future we don't know, but we just know there is the day of the Lord, which sharpens us up and makes us reflect, how am I living? I often say when I go to schools, I think the students like it, I don't know whether the teachers do, that really all exams are useless. The only exam that matters is the one on the day of the Lord for each of us individually and at the end of time. Have you loved the Lord your God with heart and mind and soul? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? And it's not vain speculation. Those questions that keeping our eyes on the prize and keeping our eyes on the moment of accountability 
makes us then live rightly now as we think about the hour of our death. It's not morbid, it's simply sensible. And the imagery that our Lord uses throughout this passage speaks of cosmic signs to make us be aware. It's prophetic language. He doesn't simply say, well, I hope you'll be living a better life because you know it's not gonna go on forever and you're gonna have to be brought to account someday. No, he says the fires will be falling, the sun and the moon will be darkened. It's his equivalent of all the prophets shaking us up. We need to think because we need it. He's got to use a, you know, get through those thick skulls of ours. And he does. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds of great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels who gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. It's judgment day. Just as we hear elsewhere in the Holy Gospels, in Matthew, of the sheep and the goats. So what do you want to be, sheep or goats? We think about it the future, but we think about it now. A prophet, and our Lord is here speaking prophetically, is not one who predicts the future, but who speaks God's word to the present to help us live to the full. So let's let those words touch our hearts. The love I show, is it cheap or shallow? It's an examination of conscience. What can I say on the day of the Lord? Which for us, will not, we need not think of this majesty that he speaks of here, the end of the world, because for us it's going to come a lot sooner than that, each one of us. I think of the, the sign you see in some sacristies. Priest of God, celebrate this Mass as if it were your first Mass, as if it were your last Mass, as if it were your only Mass. And we should live each day and maybe have a sign in our hearts, if not on our walls. Christian, live this day as if it were your first day, as if it were your last day, as if it were your only day. And these apocalyptic, prophetic words of Christ are meant to make us think seriously. We are often conventional disciples. We need to be intentional disciples who aren't just drifting on custom or tradition or habit whose minds are sharpened by a vision of the coming of the Lord. And in this portion, before he comes to his suffering, death, and resurrection, Jesus shakes us up, concentrates our minds. And he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Let's reflect upon that and ask God's mercy for the times that we have shown ourselves not ready to meet the Lord on the day of his great coming and pray that we may repent and say, come Lord Jesus, here I am Lord, I come to do your will.
From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. He uses the example of what they were familiar with day by day. When you see the fig begin to put forth its branches, it's a sign that something get ready. You can see what's about to happen. It's like the great Cardinal Newman said, why is it that some people uh, would could tell it's gonna rain or it's gonna snow or it's gonna, something's gonna happen. He calls it the weather-wise peasant. And you say, it's gonna rain in 20 minutes and boom, it does. How did he know? Well, because after his whole life, he's been seeing the signs. He's noticed, I don't know, the cows lie down or something like that. It's gonna rain. <laughs> he uses a fig, not cows. So, you know, different country. But you know, so you're watching. So we've gotta, if we can figure out if we watch closely enough, what's gonna happen in nature, we should be able to figure it out. Like, watch, be ready. And in fact, he says the time is near. The Lord is at the very gates, you know, knock, knock, knock. He's, we don't say, you know, remember he has in other, other parables, the, the, the one who says, you know, I'll build big barns and I'll fill it up and all that, oh, ho, ho, you know. You fool, this very night your soul is asked of you. <laughs> what's all this? So we should, you know, wake up and don't just drift through life. If we can tell the signs of the weather, we should be able to tell more than that. And he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away before all these things take place. Well, and in fact, the people there, one of the four signs of this was the destruction of Jerusalem. They had just walked through the temple. And he was saying it's all going to be destroyed. And most of them were there to see it when it happened. But I think it's more than that. This sense of he's coming, he's coming soon is not meant to sort of give people, uh, you know, get them worried. <laughs> it's not, that's not the point of kind of, or trying to speculate what's the date of the end of the world or something. But he is near. And I remember reading something about this. It's really beautiful. I never thought of it before. The suffering, death, resurrection, second coming. It's all one thing. You know, pour forth, you beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ, your Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and death be brought to the glory of his resurrection when he comes in glory. It's all one thing, but God has put a hold. He put a pause right after the resurrection to give us time to repent before he comes. So it's all one thing, he's near. We're already at the second coming in a sense. But he just put a pause in there because we're not ready really. It's in his mercy that we have time to prepare. But he is near, he is very near. And we should think about that, not in a fearful way. If we think of it in a fearful way, let's hurry up and get to confession. That's why he gave us that. Put on the running shoes and go. But we shouldn't, you know. Our, it's the Lord who's coming. 
heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Unless people begin to get too picky about this and get caught up in stuff that people have gotten caught up in too much. The, the, the idea of the coming of the Lord is to help us live now to the full, not just be drifting. But sometimes people get all worried and they start speculating it's going to be this day or that, or the signs show it's this or what. You do not know the day or the hour. But of that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Not even Jesus in his humanity. He did not cling to his equality with God, but emptied himself, taking our life even to death, death on a cross. And in his humanity, he's not speculating about when this will be. We just know he is near. So we should wake up, be alert. Take heed, watch, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or midnight or cockcrow or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, watch. We need to be intentional Christians, disciples of Jesus, alert, not asleep. And so many things can put us to sleep. The familiarity of our faith. I, this is why I often say, when I've been hearing confessions now for, oh, well over 40 years, and I often think of, you know, a penance to give. And the one I usually say is, pray the Our Father once, slowly. And think of the words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Watch, listen. We should get the wisdom of the old railway sign, stop, look, and listen. Because so often we're just going on automatic. You know, it's just sort of cruise control. It may or may not work with a car, but it sure doesn't work with life. Each day we need to live our vocation, whatever it may be, the single life, the married life, consecrated virginity in the service of Christ the King or celibacy, our life and family, it's fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, whatever it is, our life is baptized Christians. That's the key. We've got to live it. Ready, he's near, watch. But so often we just kind of go on automatic. We've done it every time, you know, the sign of the cross, you know, and we just bleh, go through it. And it's just, if, if every one of us, even some of us, lived our faith to the full, really meaning it, what a difference it would make in this world. Yet all of us can become very, you know, we just slow down. I remember Ruth Burroughs, who's a very great writer. She's a Carmelite from England. She writes great things. And she talks about that time when at Mass, she said, as she had said a thousand times, I believe in God, the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. And then one, one Mass, she said, what do I mean by that? Then it changed her life. Do I believe in God, the Father Almighty? These words that have tripped off my tongue so much. Do I believe? Well, if so, how would you know? You know, if I was arrested for being a Christian, would there be evidence enough to convict? How do you know? Or like St. Anthony of Egypt, as a young man. He'd been going to Mass a lot, I'm sure. 
He comes in once and suddenly he hears the words, take what you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. So he did it. Or you think of St. Ignatius Loyola, who as he writes and he says in his writings that after he had gone through a lot of different experiences in life, suddenly he said, my eyes open just a little. And he realized what it meant to serve Christ with heart and mind and soul. That's why when we pray the gospel, the sign of the cross on our forehead that we know him, on our lips that we speak about him, and our hearts that we live in, we live our faith. So he says to us and he says to all, watch. So let's pray the Lord now that we can, we could really live our faith. You know, like really. <laughs> that we won't just be couch potato Catholics. We all contend to be that way, every one of us. You know, we get into the routines. Let's just slow down. And that's why it's a great idea. Spend time in prayer before our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament or at home. Have a little prayer time each day so we can watch, we can be alert. So we can say, here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. Let's ask God to help us be more watchful in our faith. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be a tumult of the people. And now we begin. He's moving towards his suffering, death, resurrection to prepare for when he comes in glory. And he is surrounded by people who cannot abide his presence. The light came into the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it, did not understand it, and couldn't accept it. Know how often that happens in our own lives too? We can be so rejecting of people, perhaps because the goodness of another makes us aware of our own sins, not in a way of repentance, but in a way of resentment. Get out of my life, you're showing too much light. Sometimes the presence of such goodness can flip over the rocks and show some stuff crawling underneath. We just want to get rid of that. And so it is, when Christ comes amongst his people, God comes to us to live with us, to be vulnerable. And yet we see this evil. This evil is not of God. This evil is rejection of God. And that was in the days of Christ, our Lord, as he was coming, forgiving, loving, showing compassion. And what he sees coming towards him is hatred and plotting and scheming to kill him, but in a quiet way, so there won't be a revolt among the thousands of people who are flooding into Jerusalem for the Passover. They're gonna do a managerially subtle, competent killing. Sort of reminds me of the character in A Man for All Seasons, but an actual historical person, Thomas Cromwell, who wanted to kind of engineer evil, but in a dignified way. And think about that in our own society. 
Think about that. We're living in a society where there is great evil. This is close at hand. Oh, we have it far away too. They're crucifying Christians in the Middle East. Literally, I'm not talking figuratively. Our brothers and sisters who are living life to the full in Christ, you think of those 21 Coptic martyrs on the beach being beheaded by those evil people. And as they died, they said, Jesus is Lord. We see that far away and we see people, we seek to give them refuge. But close at hand, we have this kind of competent, subtle evil, powerful forces in our society, suppress the conscience of others, but in a gentlemanly and sort of effect efficient way, a polite way. They dust over evil with suave words. You always need to watch for that. Let's say what we mean and mean what we say. So often language is twisted to turn what is evil into something that seems to be good. So lest the people revolt, let's speak in soft words of that which is evil. We see even, well, you can fill in the blanks, whether it be legislatures or judiciaries or the society or everything. And that's what we have to be aware of and deal with with integrity and be sure we don't ourselves get into that. We need to live honestly with integrity, with clarity. We need to be integers, not fractions. Not one side is this, another side is that. But it was two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth to kill him. For they said, not during the feast, let there be a tumult of the people. That's a pretty good sign if you want to know what to do. Don't do it by stealth. I remember a priest saying about priests, but it could be of everyone else, we have a right to a private life and not to a secret life. There's a difference. Privacy, obviously, each one of us has a right to that, but not to a secret life, not to a double life. None of us do. The good thing that uh, I know I use in my own mission, when making a decision, what I'd be happy to have it on the, uh, um, the front page of a newspaper named after the things that are falling from heaven at the beginning of this uh, um, passage of scripture. If we can flick on the lights, we're probably okay. But the chief priests and the Pharisees and the scribes we're doing things by stealth, and that's usually a sign of evil. Are there any things in our own life, just think in our hearts now, where we're operating like the scribes and the chief priests, trying to cover over so others don't see it, or we don't see it ourselves, maybe things which we should flip open, like flip over that rock and see what's crawling underneath. It's much healthier than keeping it hidden. Much healthier. That's why we should go to confession too. You know, you can have absolution without confession. On the Titanic, I'm sure the priest was giving absolution, general absolution. But it's when the deck hits 45 degrees that you give general absolution, not 44, 45. Before that, we need to be able to get out. Not, no, no stealth. Just, you know, when in doubt, spout. Get out. 
Anyway, let's think about it. Let's think about it for a while and ask the Lord to help us be more open, clear, manifest. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at table, a woman came in with an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. But there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment thus wasted? For this ointment might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they reproached her. But Jesus said, let her be alone. Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you will, you can do good to them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burying. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. It was customary to put a little ointment, a little perfume on the, poured over a little bit on a, a guest. It was a kind of a way of honoring them. But she takes this incredibly, a denarius was worth a day's labor, a day's wage. So. A year, almost a year's wage, she poured it over his head. Not just over his feet, but poured it over. There's something extravagant in that. Because she loved much. He says, wasn't it a lovely thing she did? Wasn't it beautiful? So great. You know, love does not count the cost. You know, to give and not to count the cost. That, that's a, there's a great generosity in that, an extravagance. And I think in our own life in Christ, we, should be, we shouldn't be measuring it out with teaspoons, you know, dipping our toe in the pool. But dive in. That's what this whole passage is about, and in a sort of a negative way when he says, watch out, be ready. I'm at the gates, so live to the full. Don't just be a shallow Christian. And now he says, be like her. Pour out your life. Live extravagantly, fully, joyfully, not just begrudgingly, meanly, measuring at every step. There's a glorious abandonment in that. There's a great book by Jean-Pierre de Cossade called Abandonment to Divine Providence. Here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. There's a great romance in the life in Christ as there is in living the great commitments, whether it be marriage or celibacy, priesthood, whatever. There's a great giving of self that is what we're called to. And then we will find happiness if we have the spirit of the pouring out and not just of, and that's true in our relations with one another, in our relationship with God, and the way we approach our life. I remember one of my favorite hymns is, O God Beyond All Praising. And there's one line I just love, it says, make a joyful duty our sacrifice of praise. A joyful duty. Pour it out before the Lord. 
So let's ask the Lord to help us, whatever our particular vocation may be, different for each of us, to live it pouring out, an oblation as they call it, and not just unwillingly or narrowly. Life is more fun that way too, apart from being the only way to live. But there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment thus wasted? For this ointment might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they reproached her. These narrow-minded people. Notice they had to cover it over by saying, we want to help the poor. Sure they did. (laughs) And I suspect that the the one who was most irritated was there, the one who kept the cash for the apostles. We see what he does next. So this meanness, know how critical we can be of other people? She did a lovely thing, says Jesus. And they're kind of nitpicking and just (laughs) What a waste of life. I feel like Jesus should have said to them, get a life, you know. You know, sometimes people, we can, get, we can get so caught up in our anger or our, like, like just drinking vinegar or something like that. Blew. You know, just say, take a little cup or a little thing, you'll put it in the teeth and the venom comes out. It's just not worth living that way. And, and then, however, it's always justified and the money could have been given to the poor because they don't want other people to see deep within them and that's a nice excuse. But also, I don't know whether they may honestly mean that. Because we can often find a rationalization for what we're trying to do. But these are kind of nasty, nasty. We can all be nasty at times, every one of us. Look in the mirror and see, Lord, help me to be more generous of spirit. There's a great Italian called Lorenzo Il Magnifico, who was just, he would, do great things, he sponsored great artists, he, he lived a life to the full. And the magnificent. <laughs> and magnificent, doing something, living our life with a little pizzazz and with not being picky. That's a good way to live, to be overflowing, super abundant in the way we commit ourselves to our mission in life, whatever it may be, and the way we are understanding towards other people too. We should have blinders on when it comes to the faults of others, but a clear understanding of our own. And every day at the end of the day, say, Lord, forgive me, help me to be more loving tomorrow, and then move on. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. Barclay in his commentary, which Bishop Sheen always recommended when you want to pray before the Blessed Sacrament, He said, she did a lovely thing. So let's not criticize. We shouldn't be censorious, criticizing all the time. Life is too short. For you will always have the poor with you, and whatever you will, you can do good to them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burying. We're preparing for the passion now. And the anointing is also the anointing of the body like gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It is the anointing. It's a foreshadowing 
of his death, his sacrificial death. And on the cross, Jesus is pouring out his life extravagantly. He who could have ended it all and just, but no, he gives himself the way she poured out the precious ointment. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And we have seen some negative people here, and now we see the ultimate negative one, who kept the money of the 12. And maybe, we don't know why he did what he did, we never know. He could have been a saint. Because in a sense, what he did was no worse than what Peter did later on. Wouldn't it be so beautiful to have the Basilica of St. Judas, the apostle who betrayed the Lord but then repented, the the greatest of the apostles. But sad to say he didn't from what we hear. But we never know in God's mercy. But he didn't seem to. Whereas Peter, three times he denied the Lord, and three times the Lord asked him, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Are you going to pour precious ointment of your life abundantly, like the woman in the Bethany? Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Well, I don't know whether the love of money is the root of all evil, but it's certainly up there on the list. It's possession, not... She is pouring out her love. She's giving this for Christ. And they're buying him for 30 pieces of silver. So we have to know what is our motivation if we're really living as Christ wants us to. And we should ask ourselves, in this passage, what do we learn from the woman of great love, of how to act, and what do we learn from Judas, of how not to act? And what do we learn from those nasty people who criticized her? Do we see a little bit of ourselves in that? Let's ask the God's, God's forgiveness if we do. And I think we all do too much. Oh, it's so easy to criticize. Push ourselves up by pushing someone down. We really could do without that. Not enough time in life for that. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away before all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 
But of that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be a tumult of the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. But there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment thus wasted? For this ointment might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they reproached her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you and whenever you will, you can do good to them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burying. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.